Hey everyone, this is Dave Dubow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from Boston, Massachusetts, Willie Mandrell. How are you doing today, Willie? Dave, I'm doing well. How are you? Where's the Boston accent, man? What's going on? What's, uh, <laughs> Hang out with Marty Walsh and Park the Car and Harvard Yard. You mean that? Well, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm expecting. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. No, nah, it's just a guy, but you know, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a South Boston thing. Not all of us are from South Boston. <laughs> Not all of us are from Charlestown. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in the Burbs as well. So no, nah, it doesn't, doesn't stick to everyone. Man, it's, that's so interesting. I mean, I'm up here in Canada. We've got such a generic accent through most of the country. Nobody can usually tell where anybody else is from. And here you've got different accents within the same city. Love it. Okay. So anyhow, Willie is a very accomplished real estate entrepreneur. He's been in the real estate game over 15 years. He's also a broker. But what's really interesting that we're going to be talking about here today is how Willie does triplex burrs, for lack of a, a better term. So he takes... You know, three unit buildings, buys them, you know, undervalued, fixes them up, gets them optimized, gets them rented out, refinances, keeps on trucking. So that's what we're going to be talking about here today primarily. So, Willie, why don't you tell me, you know, what do you like the most? What do you call this strategy and what do you like the most about it? Yeah, I mean it's the it's the burr strategy. The burr strategy. We throw an extra B on the beginning, you know, and in for Boston. It's the Boston burr strategy. And it's also, you know, appropriate because it's really cold here in Boston, right? It's, I mean, probably, you know, like I said, you're obviously here in Canada, so you know <laughs> yeah, where I'm coming from. But... <laughs> not getting any sympathy for me, brother. Right, right, exactly. So, but no, I mean, you know, I grew up here. I went to I went to school here. I never really left home. I went to Northeastern University as well. So know the market really, really well. Speaking of the Boston accent, everything here is a triple decker. We call them. They're all, we don't, we don't have a lot of space. We don't build out. We build up here and they, they've done that for a hundred years. So most of the real estate in Boston is a hundred year old three family, hundred year old triple decker or triplex. And, you know, I just created my niche in, in that, in that particular market. And, you know, I used to go out and buy rent ready properties, meaning that you go out and it's the, you know, there's no, there's slight cosmetic rehabs here and there, but most of it, for the most part, it's ready to go, ready to move in. And that's great. We did the first four or four or five properties we bought. We bought just like that. And then it becomes difficult after that because now as property values start to appreciate, I'm stuck with paying 20, 25% down. That's difficult to do. Now you're saving up for multiple years. And as you're saving up, the price continues to appreciate. I mean, you're just kind of constantly being outpaced by the market. So switched our strategy. I discovered the Burr strategy and decided to try my hand in the major renovation, just going out and gutting things down to the studs, really creating some value. And it's really worked for us. So now what we're doing, instead of chasing the market, trying to buy rent-ready stuff, we go and buy bad windows, bad roof is leaking, heating systems are bad, electrical needs to be updated. Obviously, the cosmetics are, are there. Typical model here in Boston is buy at 600000 uh, Typical the model for me, buy at about 600, 650, put about $200,000 into it. And the ARV or the after repair value, somewhere around a million dollars. So trying to create a, a $150,000 to $200,000 right from the start. That way, when I go back to the bank, I'm using that with construction loans, making that initial purchase with a construction loan and the rehab financing, and then going back to the bank. And they're basically saying you have a million dollar asset. And you only owe roughly six hundred thousand on it, but I then I go out and pull another two hundred thousand dollars back out, 
put that money back in my pocket. Now I owe $800,000 on an asset that's worth a million. They're comfortable with that loan to value spread and we just do it over and over again. Nice. Uh, makes a lot of sense. So you're also a broker. You've got a bunch of realtors working for you, but what do you find works best for finding these kind of properties? How are you, how are you shaking the tree and are you, are you waiting till they show up on the MLS or are you actually proactively going out and looking for them? No, I haven't bought a deal on the MLS in years. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, most of what I'm doing is I'm a broker myself, but it's not like the agents in my office are just the ones going out and finding deals. To tell you, to tell you the truth, more often than not, it's agents outside of my office. And despite that fact that I'm a broker and have been for you know a decade now, every agent in the Boston area that knows me understands that I'm an investor first. And I'll tell each one of them, regardless of whether you're my, with my company or not, if you find a deal come to me, I'm your buyer. And I'm not looking for you know, a co-broke or the commission on the other side. I want the property itself. I just told you that our my model has a $200,000 equity spread on the other end. I'm not concerned or I'm a lot less concerned with a $10,000 commission on a piece of property. Let that, let that broker take that property. And that incentive to have the dual agency or the both sides of the commission is enough incentive for even brokers at other agencies to continue to bring me a deal and look at me as a broker first, if that makes sense. No, that completely makes sense. So, okay. So are, is, is that pretty much all that you're doing is waiting? Oh, to yeah. So, so, so agents and then, uh, so yeah, good question. Did you answer your question? Uh, other investors, other investors, wholesalers, just getting out there and just telling anybody and everybody who will listen, what it is I do, what I'm looking for. I'm a very impatient person. Come to terms with that over the years. So for me to go directly to the seller sometimes is it just doesn't work. I've done this, you know, a hundred times where I've sit down with the seller and I'm just, it, you have to have empathy. You have to have sympathy and you have to have, you have to have patience. And that's just not, it's just not me. That's you know, right. I'm go-go. <laughs> I just, well, I'm, I'm go, that's exactly how it is, my friend. That's good. Yeah, I'm go, 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 go. And the person's sitting there and they're telling me about this sob story. And again, I, you know, it sounds bad when I'm saying this, but the sob story about, you know, their, their financial troubles or whatever it is. And, and I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah. Okay. But what do you want for the house? Or <laughs> when can we close the deal? So even paying just a small premium, throwing a broker in there or throwing a wholesale fee in there, yeah. or, you know, or, or giving a piece away of the equity to somebody who brings me a deal, I find is a lot better for me because what I lands on my desk is a finished ready contract that's ready to go versus an opportunity that I now need to milk for the next 18 months, if that makes sense. No, that makes complete sense. That's smart. <laughs> you just got to know yourself. That's, yeah. that's really yeah, yeah, it. No, I, and I'm just going back to the day when I heard all those soft stories and, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> right. Very cool. All right. So you're, you're buying these. And, and uh, what I love about your focus, Willie, is you know exactly what you want you know exactly what neighborhoods you, you, you want. You've got your crews lined up, I'm sure. So yep. once you get one of these, you know exactly what to do. And how quickly are you usually able to get these turned around? The rehab process itself is not long. It's, we're, remember, the three families. So essentially, it's like flipping in each, each of the units, typical building in Boston, three families, about 30, let's call it 3,300 square feet. So it's like a three 1,100 square foot single family stacked up on top of each other. Yeah. So we can typically do that in three to four months. And even if I gut it down, I mean, that's just still, it's, it's not going to take me too much longer than that. The problem that we have in Boston is still working through the city, working through inspectional services. And that's where you get bogged down. A permit might take you, they say, when you submit a permit, it's supposed to take you 30 days. It doesn't take you 30 days. They're going to come back to you on day 28 and tell you they're missing 
several things that you've never heard of before, and then it's going to extend for another 30 days. So the permitting process takes about a couple months, and then I would say another three to four months, depending on the extensity, uh, the extensive nature of the, of the renovation, and then another two months to lease up, assuming that the end of that renovation process is not in January, February, or March. Okay. We try everything we can to avoid ending a project beginning in March or beginning in February is great. You submit permits in January, you got the whole winter to sit around and wait for it. As soon as the spring hits, you're, you're going and you're leasing up in an ideal time. It just really is unfortunate when you pull a deal and let's call it September, and now you're trying to lease up a property in January or February in Boston. I imagine it's the same for you. It's not the easiest time for people to be moving. So Yeah, especially in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> exactly. So what was I going to ask? Are you typically taking these properties over vacant or do you have to deal with existing, pre-existing tenancies? How does that work? Typically vacant. And we'll, we'll, this may sound crazy if you're not from Boston's a very high price market. Again, you know, that model that I talked to that I mentioned to you, I imagine is not the model for a lot of people. If you're not in New York, San Francisco, you know, come up some of the high price markets. But my, answer, my friend, the, the average house price in Canada at the time of this house, single family home is over $700,000. Oh, wow. So, so you, so you know what I'm talking about then. Yeah. yeah. So that that's, yeah. So it's, it's a three family is a million bucks. And again, sometimes when you're, you know, if you're in a different part of the country, if you're in, you know, in the South or in the Midwest or something like that in, in the States, you can have a single family house at a hundred thousand, you know, 200,000. So these, these prices may seem ridiculous. And what I'm about to say may seem ridiculous, but to answer your question, ideally, I'd like to, obviously you'd like the building vacant. I want to go in there and I want you, it's, it's very difficult for me, let's say if there's a tenant on the second floor to rewire a building with someone living, you can't do it, right? I mean, you need soffits, you need to go up through closets, you need to go, in order for me to renovate that third floor, it's almost impossible for me to renovate that third floor without with somebody living on the second floor. You just can't do it. So I do everything I can to make sure the, the building is delivered vacant. And then if we don't have it vacant, what we do is a lot of cash for keys and cash for keys, for people who are not familiar, is essentially just, uh, just going back to the tenant and just buying them out and basically saying, we know you're on a lease. We know you're, you're here. Ideally, what we're trying to do is renovate this building. And we're basically going to give you a check to pay for your moving expenses and everything else. Typically, that check here is somewhere between five dollars and $10,000. So if you have a, a unit with a couple of tenants, you might be shelling out you know, ten dollars to $20,000 just to get people to move out. And that's before you even touch the building. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Interesting stuff. Now, I understand the value build by doing this process, the burr. What does it look as far as a, a cash flow point of view? So typically, if you can kind of walk us through it, these properties, are they two bedrooms? Are they one bedroom type units typically? What are they renting for before? What are they renting for after? What kind of cash flow are you seeing on these kind of properties? Yeah, so Boston's a big college town. We have, you know, Harvard is here, MIT is here, Northeastern, BUBC. Our rental market is affected a lot by and has been negatively affected a lot by, you know, the schools. As soon as they closed up their doors and basically said no one goes on campus, our housing market in certain areas of the city dropped by six, seven, ten percent, depending on where you were. A lot of big landlords are very you know, heavy into student housing. My niche here is not student housing. Unfortunately, I have a couple of buildings that are that were you know very troubled or negatively affected by the you know the Northeastern pulling their student housing student population away from campus. 
But the majority of my rental portfolio is in Section 8 housing or, you know, subsidy about, you know, government subsidies. I would say 85% of my, our units are, in, you know, in that niche. And what we try to shoot for, we are very familiar with what the housing vouchers pay. And you look at the scale between one and twos and threes and fours, and then you consider the wear and tear on your buildings when you get up to a four unit and five unit and stuff like that. And you just a lot of lot more children, a lot more with children come pets and pets come, you know, everything else. So we found that the ideal place for us is a small family, three or four people, and that's a three-bedroom apartment. It also maximizes our rent. There's a huge leap between two and three. There is not such a huge leap between three and four, but there's also a huge leap in, but what there is is a huge leap in expenses and wear and tear on your building when you go from three to four. So the sweet spot here for me is Section 8 housing units somewhere around a three-bedroom and what we find is as of today, our units are renting for five freshly renovated building or a unit put it on the market today, roughly $2,800 for that three bedroom. And the voucher is probably paying good $2,500 of that. Tenants probably paying another three. In terms of cash flow, in a perfect world, so there's two answers to this. Perfect world, if you, I try to shoot for at least $700 a door or $2,100 a building is ideally what I'm shooting for. The trouble that you have is after the refinance, after you pull your cash back out, that cash flow number tends to slip a little bit and you probably see somewhere about $1,500 for the building or about $500 for door after that cash has been pulled back out. But you know, some in some instances, I leave my cash in, use you know, something with a, with a partner, or if we have a significant amount of equity, we'll refi again, stretch the debt back out over 30 years just to reduce our mortgage payment to increase our cash flow and try to get somewhere around $2,000, $2,100 a building, if that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. So when they're all renovated, you're, you're renting them out, is it about $2,200? $2, about that, yeah, about that. Okay. If, if, if everything is everything is smooth and everything is looking looking good, we're probably putting about 2000 bucks in our pocket, roughly. No, no, sorry, I meant the actual rental amount for a three-bedroom is how much again? Oh, $2,800. $2,800. How much yeah. is it prior to the rental? So how much you have? Able oh, to pump that up. Prior to the rent. Oh, I mean, it all depends on how how awful the building is. I mean, I, most of the stuff that I'm going into, you wouldn't be able to rent it as is. I'm not looking for something where. But here's the other thing: is I want to knock out a lot of the competition. If I was just in looking for cosmetic renovations, paint and carpet, as we call it, right? If you're going to go in there, you're going to paint some things, put new appliances and new cabinets, then my competition is high because most investors can do that. So what I go and look for is stuff that you wouldn't even be able to live into, uh, live like, in. Right like now. a war zone type. It, it, that's exactly what right. They've been vacant for a long time kind of thing. That's, boom, some of them been vacant for seven years, 10 years. Wow. I bought the first building I bought was vacant for seven years and it had rodent infestation. The roof was leaking. There was all types of moisture problems. The heating systems were, we call them the, the snowman boilers. They're covered in asbestos. Those were real problems. And it's a situation where, the investor or the, excuse me, the agent is unlikely to even put it on MLS because they know that the majority of the market is not going to be able to handle that. Those are deals that are traded off market. Most of the stuff I buy, people are never even, you know, knew the address was available until I'm putting it back on the market as a rental in most cases. So it's hard to tell. I mean, you know, most times if, if we do are, if we are buying things with occupied units, we are probably seeing, you know, a thousand dollar increase per unit. So somewhere around, you know, 1800 bucks is what the existing tenant is paying. We're trying to, you know, get them to move on. Or in some situations, we've done straight 
and this is a very rare situation, but we've done a couple of these where it's basically just been a straight paper flip in the sense that the building was really in actually decent condition, but the landlord was someone who wasn't keeping pace with the, the rate of you know movement on the, on the market, right? So, I mean, his rents were all $14, $15, $16, but the benefit is that they were all subsidized rentals. And really the tenant, I mean, this is, this is going to sound awful as well. The tenant doesn't really care that much when they're only paying 10% of their, their rent, right? So, I mean, we basically just did a paper flip, went back to the subsidies and went, we think we bought the building at 900,000. And a year later, we had increased everybody's rent by, you know, call it six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars a piece. The building appraised for one point two million, so created, you know, three hundred thousand dollars in equity within a year just from uh, understanding, just from yeah, just from understanding our market. Awesome, Willie. Time flies when we're having fun. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they go? Uh, YouTube. YouTube is big for me. YouTube.com forward slash W Mandrell. You can also Google Willie Mandrell. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more about real estate, just recently released a book called Cash Flow Secrets. Book is available on Amazon. So Google Willie Mandrell or just go to my YouTube channel forward slash W Mandrell. Awesome. Willie, it's been very nice to meet you. And thanks for sharing your experience. Dave, I appreciate you having me on. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.